Any questions tonight? Who's that? Can't see. Oh, it's Mayapur. There he is. Welcome. You had a question? No. Yes. And a question about questions, because uh, the, uh, the scriptures are questions and answers, and uh, for a long time when I was new, I didn't really have any questions. I was just kind of simple and taking it all in. And uh, but we see that if, if we hear that Mars Pariksit he attained perfection by hearing, but we could also say by questioning. Mm-hmm. So I just. I've been thinking about it, because even in, in the world, they say that the quality of your life depends on the quality of the questions that you ask. That's just on a personal level, but on a spiritual level. Being questioned, the, the importance of, you know, reading, they call it active reading, you know, you try to think about what you read, or, or when you hear, try to think, what does that mean for me? Just, in general, the importance for us, all of us, of asking questions. I mean, not just to, you know, for nothing, but to have the necessity to to be able to ask meaningful questions to seems like that's going to call our progress. What's your question? <laughs> so, yeah. Just so. to elaborate on it a little bit, I mean... Mm-hmm. I understand. Um, yeah. I think it's true that in, in, the, in the beginning there's, there's uh, so many questions that are answered and um, even questions that are that arise within are often answered in the discourses. And there's also the problem, of course, that people don't want to seem stupid, so they don't want to ask questions, which is the stupidest thing that one could do. <laughs> um, but uh, such is the nature of material conditioning. <clears throat> and so you're right. Questioning is important. Pritchard Maharaj was uh, the... Uh, is described in Arupa Goswami and Bhaktivedanta Sindhu as the person that personifies attaining perfection through shabadam, through hearing. His name Parikshit means inquirer, so he was inquisitive, primarily about the ramifications of his experience, as it's described in the Bhagavatam within the womb. He had a special um, intervention in his life early on, rather early, <laughs> and uh, to be aware of it and so forth, uh, this uh, characterized his life in an ongoing way, which culminated in, of course, his, his um, being fully present and attentive to the questions of life. So, life um, itself, sometimes I have explained human life itself is a question. Human life is a question. It's the why question. It's a question that arises from and in relation to consciousness itself that is, in human life, coming to the, to the fore, if you will, of uh, its connection with material nature and asking about itself. Prior to the human life, it's thought um, that consciousness the jivatma is not capable of being preoccupied with the question why because the questions how are more pressing and the questions how relate to the body how to eat how to sleep as Prabhupada put it how to protect myself um, how to mate find a find a partner hmm. um, these how questions that again pertain to the to the to the material side of ourselves, so to speak, are more pressing, more prominent. No time to think about why. 
which is a question that material nature can't answer. Material nature can answer the how questions, and therefore we see that basically those questions are answered for all the less complex forms of life. They have a defense system built in, all of them, and the lesson to be learned in human life upon observing that is to a point. <laughs> to a point, every species is equipped by nature to defend itself, but to a point only. Hmm. The bodily identification is indefensible, ultimately, but, uh, but to a point. And, uh, and so also, hmm, how to eat, how to sleep, the, these, these things seem to be worked out. Hmm. And nature is working them out. But the question why is not a question that nature can answer, because it's not because it's coming from consciousness itself. It's about itself. It's a question about the inquirer himself or herself. What, when, what am I or why am I? It's like a whole different realm of questioning, not how, but why. And it's particularly uh, troublesome. It's a problem so Human life is, in effect, a, uh, a question. <clears throat> and um, the answer to the question is also available as nature provides answers to the how questions. So the question of consciousness really about itself, about meaning, about purpose, about value, hmm. qualitative questions. These questions of consciousness about itself have to be answered from the consciousness realm itself. So this is the idea then of the revelation, hmm? that there are sounds for the humans hmm? to answer the questions that arise in human life about the self. It's said that in human life, Nature finds out that it has a soul. It's a way of talking about it. This is an interesting topic, of course. It's really the only subject. What's out there and who's in there? Observing what's out there. That's what life's about. What's out there? And by the way, who's asking the question? And so uh, these aren't new questions. These are old questions. And they'll, but they'll never become old <laughs> in that sense. They're, they're perennial questions. Hmm. Nowadays, uh, in, in modern history, of course, the, uh, the subject of consciousness has, uh, was put under the, under the rug for a long time. Modern, uh, industrial society, scientific revolution, and so forth. Prior to that, it was, it was prominent in all cultures, in one form or another. Um, the mysteries of, of the, the inner and the subjective realm and so forth. But um, in, in, for a period of time now, it's been buried. Um, now, again, it's becoming popular. Uh, uh, because it just didn't go away. Uh, and, uh, and in exploring nature the way modern science has, with no need for consciousness, feeling that, that all the answers to how things work are answered by nature itself. There are certain laws, and we're finding them out. No need to worry about who's finding them out. <laughs> We're just part of those laws and so forth. Of course, as you know, then the, uh, the deterministic worldview of kind of the Newtonian outlook has ups been upstaged to some extent by the quantum perspective in which observation has, is a factor. And um, so it can be looked at and is by many as the 
importance of consciousness showing itself. It's almost like you looked everywhere uh, away from consciousness, deeper and deeper into matter, and at its core you, you found it again, looking back at you inside of the atom, something like that. So, um, so there are theories about consciousness, what it is, and, and uh, there are many, mostly attempts to try to find a place for it, but not too important of a place, and, and uh, equate it with matter and so forth. But these are having a lot of, they are having a lot of difficulty with these efforts. Now there's a tendency coming towards um, a pan-psychic perspective. And this, a lot of this is coming from research with animals and other species of life. Recently there was an article in, in, in the New York Times about um, s- scientists who, dis- who discovered that insects have consciousness and egoic sensibilities, that, it, in- that insects actually have a sense of what it's like to be an insect. Um, this idea, not long ago, would have just been thought to be silly, preposterous, absurd. Now, there are materialistic ways to try to explain that, that matter evolves at a certain rate and over time and consciousness appears and in slightly different forms or limited ways relative to the body, but it starts to sound like Vedanta. <laughs> The consciousness is all pervasive, and it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental ingredient of the world. Hmm? And this, is, of course, the, the perspective of Gaudi Vedanta that there's matter and there's consciousness, and they they really both make up the world. We say that consciousness is different from matter, hmm? but really there is no material world without consciousness and matter. So they really kind of are the parts of the world, if you will. Hmm? In, uh, on ingredients of the world, and they—they—it's they, interesting because they we we often speak in a simplistic way and say that we are not the body. Hmm? There's some truth to that to help us appreciate consciousness, but in, in another sense, we can also say that we we are the body, hmm? in that just like material materialism would think that that consciousness is dependent upon the body. Hmm? We can say, no, consciousness is independent of the body, and yoga is for dis- for experiencing that, demonstrating that. One can live with less and less food, and less air, and and uh, and less necessities, and, it, and by spiritual practice it can, to a large extent, demonstrate that there's, that the self becomes more, if you will, fulfilled, content by distinguishing itself from matter, controlling the senses, controlling the mind, drawing them back from sense objects and so forth. And of course that's an important argument to make, but we can go the other way as well and say yes, consciousness is dependent upon matter in order for it to realize its potential as a doer we were talking about this the other night, karkritva, bhogritva, as an enjoyer and sufferer, they go together, and um, as a gyatritva, um, a, a knower, hmm? to be able to apprehend, to be able to act, hmm? to be able to enjoy or suffer. We require a body. That's a fact. <laughs> so the tasta jiva is this really peculiar thing in one sense that it's difficult to separate from a body if we want it to be all that it can be. Now obviously the material body is a problem hmm? as much as it affords us the opportunity to to have qualitative experiences like red, blue, happy, sad, to apprehend or know things hmm, about the objective world. and to uh, to do things, to move the, the world, so to speak. Um, these are potentials within us, but without the world, we can't realize them. Now, we realize them to some extent in relation to matter, but, of course, the problem is that 
that the material manifestation, that side of the self is constantly in flux and changing and, um, and the repetition of birth and death and so on and so forth. But the point, the interesting point is that it's true hmm, that without the body, hmm, you can't have the qualitative experiences that take place in the subtle um, uh, psychic matter, the antakarana. Though it's thought that consciousness reflects on the most subtle sattvic aspect of the material nature, very refined and sattvic, uh, the buddhi, and and material nature is activated. The the, the modes start to move, hunkar, separate identity arises and so on and the hunkar then makes the world the tanmatras the this the sense objects this the, the senses and so and, and it, the world of perception and the, and the perceiver the individual perceiver is sorted out and so on and so forth so um, so w- we need the world or we need a spiritual world mm-hmm. is the idea so then the beauty of course the spiritual world is that the body there is also eternal. It's also a chit. It's it's cogn. It's, it's it's we animate this world. Hmm? As I said, we animate the buddhi, and it, it, it reflects in buddhi. And then there's a, there's a, there's an experiential aspect of matter. Often I say matter has no experience, and that atma has experience, but that's a simplistic way of talking about it. Actually, the subtle matter has experience. Can't have it without the Atma, which is the ground of experience. But the experience, our experience takes place in the subtle body of goods and bads, happies and sads, and so on and so forth. But here, we animate matter. And the Sarup Shakti, it's the opposite in the one sense of the Maya Shakti, is animate itself. It's also chit. So while we animate matter, the chit shakti animates us, and we're already animate. <laughs> so there's the super animate. We're already sat. We're already chit, which means we're 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 enduring. We're cognizant. Hmm? The capacity to love, but now the sarup shakti, it's that kind of on steroids, so to speak. So it animates us in a way that, that we we could not unto ourselves, and certainly matter cannot. Hmm? And so we get a body, a spiritual body, and a subtle spiritual body, and all these things. Hmm? And and we and that's how we experience. So the, the body is important. The body in one sense, whether it be material or the spiritual body, is an extension of the, the 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 state, if you will, of consciousness of the atma. So it is it, it hmm? in in that sense. And of course, in the spiritual sense, when you get a spiritual body, then the fit is there's two subjective things. There's the srupa shakti and the and the jiva shakti. They're both subjective. They're both consciousness. So they they work together pretty well, and both are animate. Hmm? So how do you animate the animate? So, so the, the jiva becomes that much more animate. It has all, all its possibilities are realized. That in material life we try to realize and we do to some extent. Hmm? To some extent we experience love. We really do, to some extent. Hmm? But it doesn't, you know, endure and it has its problems and, and so on and so forth. Um, but we have, in one sense, justification for not pursuing Vedanta. Hmm? If Vedanta says love is illusion and so forth, we say, well, I'd rather have it for a little while than not at all. Hmm? But Gaudiya Vedanta is very beautiful because it answers that question. It says, you know, you can have love. That's all the things you can have. That's why I mentioned it the other night when Krishna was asked by the inhabitants of Vrindavan, where will we go in our next life? Hmm? I think it was after he was kidnapped by Varuna. Save Nanda Maharaj and so forth. He's got some power, so let's ask him. Hmm? 
like everybody wants to know the future. And Krishna showed them the Goloka. They said, oh, everything's going to be the same. That's our teaching. Everything's going to be the same. You can have friends in bhakti. You can, in jnana, you can't have any friends. You can't have any enemies either. But even having enemies is part of having friends, having love. So the variety, the difference... Hmm. the apprehensions even in Golok that something might happen to Krishna hmm. some rumor about Kamsa or something like that this play of uh, it's just like material life hmm. so the beauty of Gaudiya Vedanta is that it says just as you are that is exactly how you are hmm. you have to it's a simple task the building is fine you just need to change the foundation Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're going to jack up the building and hold it a little bit and put the foundation in, put it back down, everything's okay. So it's a little difficult, but but save the whole, you know, the whole thing, right? So as you experience yourself to be, you experience ourselves to be capable of qualitative experiences, of being a, a causal agent, we think, make determinations, and then we carry them out. That's how we experience life. We're doers, we're experiencers, we're, we're knowers. I'm saying this because, in, for example, in Advaita Vedanta and Yoga Siddhanta, this isn't the case. You're not these things. In, yoga, in, in Advaita Vedanta, you're not even a jiva. There's only Brahman, there is no jiva. And Brahman is just this pulsating consciousness. There's a big difference when we say in Gaudiya Vedanta, the jiva is consciousness and has consciousness. In Advaita Vedanta, Brahman cannot be consciousness and have consciousness because there's nothing else to be conscious of. When I say you are consciousness and have consciousness, I mean, to use an example, the light is luminous and it illuminates. So for it to be luminous is one thing. For it to illuminate is another and another thing is required. That which is to be illuminated. <laughs> if there's only Brahman... <laughs> there's you know there's nothing to say do think there's nothing to be illuminated hmm? in Vedanta Vedanta there is no world there are no jivas that's some weird illusion on it. that that's the weak part <laughs> the Achilles heel of Gaudiya Vedanta it's all Brahman but uh, there's an appearance of something else and that's where it gets real like heady and and uh, you fall asleep on that part hmm? or go somewhere else chant, hmm. worship Krishna, different school of Vedanta. And he said, Vedanta vid, vid eva chaham. By the way, he says, I know Vedanta. I am the origin of the Vedanta. So come to me. And uh, and in a complete way, as you are. In Yoga Siddhanta, then, of, uh, of the sutras, then the, the Atma is not a qualitative experiencer, neither is it an agent of action. It's just a passive Witness. That's all it does. We, we have justification for saying, I don't want to just be a witness. Say, but, but see, the thing is, you're witnessing all these things, it's all illusory. I said, well, I'd rather be part of the, you know, of the experience than just a witness. But in Gaudi Vedanta, then, it's, it's, you come full circle. So, um, so at any rate, um, panpsychism. This is an interesting idea. Now, bees and other insects—they thought, to, from a scientific perspective, to have consciousness. So, Gaudiya Vedanta, of course, says consciousness is in all species of life, and it is while it's independent of matter. At the same time, it is. How would you say? Um, matter has the shape. Give shape to it. Hmm. According to the shape of the matter that consciousness animates, the extent to which consciousness will be expressed will be determined. So, to give an example, if I drive a BMW and you drive a Volkswagen, then I can go faster than you because the vehicle is, is different, hmm? faster and uh, fancier and whatnot. So we have different vehicles and consciousness is animating all of them, but that consciousness is shaping it 
in terms of its ability to express itself. And human life is a certain vehicle that, that allows consciousness to express itself more fully than any other form of life. And therefore, coming to the surface, if you will, in, in human life, we have a big question. Why am I? And it's the self asking about itself. So human life itself is a, is a question. And this revelation is thought to be an answer to the question, what am I? Why am I? What is my purpose, meaning, and so forth? So there's a directive that's thought to come not from the natural world because it's not being asked by nature. It's not a question about how to, how to feed my body. Hmm? But what am I? And I'm not the body. So it comes from the subjective world. Hmm? And that I also have likened to a conversation. So humans have a conversation with the Godhead and the first question is, why am I? And, and I feel that there's meaning and purpose and, and it comes from the other side. Oh, Bujapachiramars called it an affirmation. Om, a big yes. Yes, yes, life has meaning, has purpose. And now you're starting to, 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 to wonder about that. What is the, what is the meaning? What is the purpose? What's, what's behind it all? What is it that there seems to be more than what meets the eye and the mind? And of course, it's you, it's you, oh, it's you, you are more. This is the beginning idea. You, it's very affirmative. Hmm? It's very um, flattering. <laughs> the first six chapters of the Gita is very artful. The first six chapters of the Gita are all about you. It says very flattering things about, about us. You cannot die, you cannot be burned, you cannot be withered by the wind, you cannot be drowned by the water. Hmm? You're eternal, you're ascharjavat, you're amazing. You're amazing. So <laughs> Bhagavad Gita says about you, so I can listen to that. Sounds good. <laughs> so it's flattering, but it's, but it's true. Hmm? And, and there's all a build-up, the first six chapters is about you, about twum, and then the second six chapters about tat, him. So you are, and the, and the relationship between the two is you, with all of your wonder and, and that you are, are his. This is the Gaudiya uh, translation of tatvamasi. You are his. Tat my body's interpret you are that which doesn't make any sense how can you be that hmm? but that you are his that when Mahabhu Shri Chaitanya went to take sannyas then he took sannyas from Keshav Bharati and Keshav Bharati was in the school of Shankar so the, the sannyas mantras this Upanishadic aphorism for the sannyasis in, at that school, Tattva Masi, you are that. Therefore, they think, now I'm Narayan, I've taken sannyas. So, so you know the story, of course. Mahaprabhu asked Murari Gupta, said, I don't know about that, he's going to give me this mantra. And Murari said to him, think of it like this. They were scholars. Murari and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in school, Murari was older, but they used to debate, and Mahaprabhu would defeat him, and it's very, very touching to hear this early past. And before Mahaprabhu manifested himself as a Vaishnava, and he would defeat Murari and reach out and touch him and say, don't worry, your arguments were good and Murari would be electrified. He's not a human being. Who is he? And of course, Murari himself was, was that person on whose forehead Mahabharu wrote, Ram, you are Hanuman. See me. Later he said, I am Ram. I am Krishna. So Murari, he was a scholar, he said, Mahaprabhu, he was there for the sannyas. He said, think of it like this, you are his. And Mahaprabhu said, yes, there. So he, then he asked Keshava Bharati, is this the mantra you're going to give me? Tattva Masi. And he initiated Keshava Bharati hmm, into the Vaishnava conception of sannyas. And Keshava Bharati went, yes, that's, that's it. <laughs> yes. And, and so on. So this is a nice story from the biographies of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. So, anyway, the first six chapters of the Gita, they're very flattering, and so they get your attention, 
and after telling you how wonderful you are and so forth, then have to tell you that nonetheless you're a derived entity. Mm. You have a source, and he is, is you and more, and much more. And so all these things Krishna is saying about himself. Okay, you know, you can't, people, I've heard people say, I didn't like those middle six chapters. He seemed like really full of himself, you know. I said, well, see what he said about you first. Hmm? He's saying all these things about you. Has anyone said anything so flattering about you? Hmm? Anybody can say you're amazing, but he said it, I mean, he gave him some philosophical support to it and, and so on. He said really very encouraging things about yourself and your potential in terms of how you perceive yourself at present and you have nothing to worry about. You're going to die. In a powerful way that's reassuring and, and encouraging and, and so forth. So really what should happen is if you've really heard that, now you're ready to hear about him who, who, who said all these things. And, and he says, and you're mine. Hmm? Hmm. And, uh, and, and I'm this and I'm that. And uh, I am the enjoyer of everything. Everything is meant for me. And then he says, "But if you, but if you accept that, then suhidam sarvadehidam, and I'm your friend." So suddenly, it sounded like nothing was meant for me. And then he said, "But you can be the friend of the person who owns everything, knows everything, has everything. So you don't have to worry about it. You're the friend of. It's not what you know." Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's who you know. <laughs> That's how to get ahead, <laughs> for sure. How to get a heart. Hmm. Well, who you know. And so, <clears throat> so revelation, Bhagavad Gita is a good form of that, but there, it begins with Om, and then so many statements that follow. Yes, yes, you are. There is meaning, there is purpose. You are. Um, are the, the more that meets than what meets the eye and the mind, and then now you have to, in order to see that, you have to move in this. That's the difficult part, and, and, and they have to change your angle of vision and so forth. But it gives good advice, very encouraging, and so for So anyway, in the long roundabout way, I, my point is that human life is itself a a, a question. We are a question mark. Hmm? And 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 revelation is is an answer. Hmm? And so that said, then your question is about pursuing the revelation and asking questions about it and um, reading. What did you say? Thoughtfully, active, active, active reading, and so on and so forth. Yes, this is very much um, part of the uh, what we were talking about the other night. A stage of nishta. Hmm. Was interested in the subject, hmm. and uh, and so um, there's inquiries about it, its significance, its implications, and and uh, so on. Questions or doubts, also. Not sure what does it mean, you know. So, so as I've said often, we should come before the guru and doubt. That's what we should do. We should come and doubt, and. It sounds a little opposite than what you hear sometimes, but don't doubt, don't ask questions, you think too much, or don't speculate. But really, we should come and we should doubt. And But, but what, what, what we should do is voice our doubt. This is the problem, when we don't voice the doubt, we have doubt, we don't voice it, then we may become um, solidified in our, our doubting and so forth. If we are sincere, then we voice the doubts. And then, of course, if we are part of the spiritual equation, then when the answer comes, we understand it's the answer. It's the definitive answer. Because, as I said, human life is a question. What am I? Why am I? What is meaning? What is purpose? And the revelation is answer. This revelation, these shruti, is said, that which is heard, these are like embedded in nature. Hmm? in the structure of the world. Therefore, Brahma is said to mathematically, if you will, um, like mathematically, chant various mantras and the world had structure. 
So you, you probably know that in modern science, you can't have science without math, right? That's like, without math, there's no science. That's why Einstein said, all of us in the scientific community owe a debt to who? To India. Without India, we couldn't do math, really, effectively. There the zero comes from. That's why you you might have noticed that there are a few Indians employed in IT. (laughs) (laughs) India's big math place. Um, and it's also a place of heart math. There's a book on the shelf in my room. I haven't looked at it, but I keep looking at the title, Heart Math. It's a good title. I like that, Heart Math. That's Bhakti Vedanta. Hmm? Bhakti is the heart, and Vedanta is is is, is the math. Hmm? Vedanta is the head, which is cleared and wise, and and therefore it's working to soften the heart. I often say we should use the head to soften the heart, hmm? so you can have be a wise lover. So, so we are the question, and revelation is the the answer. Then you have to do do the math. What happens is. If you come in touch with that, and your inquiry, if your inquiry is ardent, I mean, this is what human life is about, is this kind of inquiry. Once I met a fellow, I was distributing books at one time, and the fellow said to me, I was talking to him about the book, and he said, so what am I supposed to do? I'm hearing you, you've got your story, you know, your path, there's so many paths, what am I supposed to do, look and check out every path, is that what I'm supposed to do? And I said, yeah, that's what you're supposed supposed to do, check them all out, you know, until one resonates with you and and, and then see if it, you know, you can reason about it well and and so on and harmonize the head and the heart and that's what human life's about, that's how it should be spent, Hmm? not just getting a job and taking care of your kids and all these things and things that this, that's going on in other forms of life too, right? So what makes us human is this kind of abstract thought, really, abstract thought. The ability to think abstractly and deal with why questions and so on and so forth. So this revelation is, is an answer. It will be an answer to those who are really ardently inquiring with a very uh, powerful uh, necessity, with a real hunger. Hmm? Therefore, it said, it, one has to be a little bit materially exhausted. That's to become, as I say sometimes, a teachable moment. Hmm? And so that you're, you're receptive. If you're not receptive to it, then it won't be an answer. Because your, your question is not ardent enough to know why am I my purpose, and so on and so forth. Hmm? You might say there are atheistic people that really ask the question seriously and they don't, their scripture doesn't resonate to them. Perhaps would say, let them talk to me, something like that. So, you know, we have, we, I, we have a good argument. Hmm. Yeah, very good argument. Gaudi Vedanta has a very good argument. It's an argument that it can hold its own in any circle and it has a trump card. Its trump card is, okay, well, we can only go so far with philosophy. You got that point, this point. Okay, so you didn't defeat me, I didn't defeat you. That's okay. But then the trump card of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is but this more charming idea, a more charming idea. Hmm. Krishna Leela, this prospect and so forth. So that card should be played, of course, especially in schools of Vedanta, but ours is more charming. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> So, at any rate, the scripture is the answer for the ardent inquiry, is the point. Hmm? And the self that is sensing that it is, that it is more, hmm? then it will resonate with, with, with the, the answer that yes, that you are. And so this is very important because what's happened now in your inquiry as a human hmm, is that the, re- the, the answer from the subjective world has resonated with you. And so therefore, in the context now of pursuing the answer, 
yes, there's more, and it's you, and now to find out about yourself. Among other things, it said, Tadviti, Pranipatena, Pariprasnena, Sevaya, you know it? Ubhidakshantite, Gyanam, Gyaninas, Tattvadarshinaha, find the Tattvadarshina, find a guru, serve, and so forth. So we find a guru, hmm? and so we sit and and continue to do what we do. We doubt. So we sit and doubt, but now we have someone to voice the doubts to, and then, this is my point, that person, he or she, gives the answers. And how do we know that the answers are the right answers? Because they're coming supported by the revelation, which is where your initial hmm, insight Oh, I'm getting answers. This is talking about what I'm interested in. This idea that I'm more in a def- such a definitive way, in a way that resonates with me. So the point is that there's a, we're in a system here. So you sit in doubt and you say, I have a doubt about this, uh, Guru Maharaj, and this is my question. So she says, well, it's like this, because in the Gita it says this over here, and in the Bhagavatam it says this, and you might have thought that verse meant that, and it could mean that, but it has other meanings. This is why, because the grammar says this here, and this and that, and so he or she gives this definitive answer from the sacred texts. Hmm? And then because your faith has been aroused by the revelation to begin with, when we talk about faith, which is the eligibility to tread the path, we're talking about faith and we're talking about doubt. So faith to tread the path, and then we want to clear the doubts that we may go forward. Hmm? We call it Shastriya Shraddha, faith in the idea that answers to my predicament come from above. Hmm? And some of them may transcend reason. Hmm? We try to satisfy reason to a point, make our faith reasonable, but we also have to emphasize the point that that the self transcends reason and so on. Hmm. So, simple point I'm making about in questioning in the spiritual circle and, and, and voicing your doubt is that there's... I mean, I've sat with persons and who have had doubts and answered their questions and really definitively, and in the context of answering the questions, answered the questions for myself that I'd never answered them like that before and thought, that was a good answer. It really made, was good. And, and, and so forth. So then then he... I'm thinking of one guy in particular, but it's happened a number of times. Um, this uh, this fellow will go, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it, okay. And then the next morning he'd wake up and and he'd ask the same question, you know, with just slightly different arranged the words. And I, how many times are we going to do this? You know, it's already been defined. But, and so what's happening in a situation like that is that person is really not on board with the system of how the questions will be answered, what the right answer is, and and they've got an emotional issue going on that that's not enabling them to reason spiritually about it definitively and land on their their feet and go and go forward. So it's it's difficult. Therefore, Krishna says in the Gita. Too much doubting. We're saying doubt, but too much doubting. Then this is a this is a problem. Hmm. Um, so we should sit in doubt, but we should understand how to come to the conclusive answers that we may may go forward with our progress. And uh, and um, so we should inquire. We should doubt. We should voice the doubts. We should. And then we should understand how the answers should come, and what what's what constitutes a definitive answer, and what what doesn't, and and so forth. Um, and of course, it is the business of the of the guru to clear the doubts. That's his or her business, hmm. and that requires, therefore, that the guru be steeped in the knowledge of the tradition, and he's going to or she's going to answer the questions from the tradition and in time and circumstance and so on and so forth. That's to be to be expected. Hmm? So you gotta be a Godia person to get the Godia answer to a Godia question and understand it's the answer and and and, and go forward. But it is the guru's business to clear the doubt and the, the disciple has a business to inquire and has a, to understand what inquiry constitutes and and so forth. Then it, it, it can be considerable. Some people will have more more doubts than others, and so forth. So, but to clear the questions, this is, requires weight of of knowledge. But we should 
inquire. It's important. Brigitte Maharaj, is, you brought him up as the example. His name means inquire. He inquired such that um, um, that um, the question of, of what happens at the time of death, which is the question that everybody's pressed with, but tends to ignore. It was, it was I think, Yudhisthira Maharaj who said the most wonderful thing is that people are dying all the time, but what, what, nobody thinks it'll happen to them or something like that. They don't act as if it's happening to them. Insects are dying on the windshield and, uh, you know, you, you don't uh, realize that you're living in the jaws of death yourself and so forth. And so, But he realized it, so he inquired very ardently. He gave up eating, he gave up sleeping, went to the holy place, to the bank of the Ganges, and he had to have his questions answered. He realized, as I've said before, that eating and drinking were the cause of his death. We think eating and drinking will be the cause of our living. But Prikshit Marsh realized eating and drinking is the cause of my death. That's why he stopped eating and drinking. You know the story, because he was in the forest and he came to the Rishi's residence and he was thirsty and hungry. And the Rishi was in a trance and ignored him. Well, kind of, wasn't even aware of him. But he took exception to that and took offense and you can't even provide me with some water. And he garlanded him with the snake and the Rishi's son cursed him to die from the snake, a flying snake. Could come from anywhere is the point. (laughs) The flying snake means there's no protection. You think, well, snakes don't fly, I'm okay. I don't think like that. It's the point of it. Could come from anything, any, anywhere. Anything can. You're going to die. That's for sure. No way around that. So he thought, just see, and it's true. Hmm? Eating and drinking, I'm thinking they're giving me life, but actually they're killing me, because hmm? I'm taking from the environment to try to maintain a sense of self that can't endure. Hmm? So I'm a taker, and only by being a giver can I live. I have to go survival of the kindest. This is the doctrine of of Gaudi Vedanta. So he gave up eating and sleeping and drinking, and he listened to the Bhagavatam. And the Bhagavatam said, "Take prasad. <laughs> it's not eating. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you can take prasad. You can live on the mercy of Krishna." This is so. So he was, his inquiry was ardent, sincere, and so Sukadev appeared on the scene, right? Out of nowhere, Sukadev came. There was no internet or anything to let him know there was a meeting, there was a question going on. But there is, there is, there, if your desire is, is sincere, then the answers will come, will be provided. Then you have to look for them and see, hmm, are they being provided? So. But yeah, the inquiring spirit is, is important. And so there will be a point in your progress where, hopefully, where you, you do have those kind of, what did you call it? Um, active reading, right? active listening, and so forth. And you're participating. It's a participatory affair. I mean, it's very, very encouraging because that causes things, answers to come. I mean, there's a number of places in the Bhagavatam where Sugadeva Goswami is praising Parikshit Maharaj for his questions. It's like I was saying, without the body, then what's, you know. So without the questions, the fellow put on the internet sometime back, I remember it, said, I've decided that I'm going to be, that I'm a guru, I'm going to be a guru. So I wrote and said, well, let me know when you get a student. Because there's no meaning to be a guru. If nobody wants to be your student, then how are you going to be a guru? So it's, it's a whole, it's a cooperative affair. So. Sukadev is, is, was inde- indebted to Parikshit from his vantage point as much as Parikshit was indebted to Sukadev. Hmm. Uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur gave a, f- a famous talk, Humbler Than a Blade of Grass, it was a title on the day of his um, celebration of his birth. And uh, there was a big festival arranged, and he was sitting up on a high seat and so forth, and he said uh, that. Um, among other things, he said that he saw all of his students as his 
representatives of, of Bhakti Vinod, it was Guru, coming to ask him questions, keep him busy, and 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 so forth. So there there ardent inquiries and so forth. He was paying his respect to that and and so on. So this is a, it's a, it's a two way street. So Parikshit and Sukadev. Without the hearing, there's no no chanting. So. I mean, Prabhupada was prepared to speak to the walls, he said, but uh, luckily the, someone was listening. So, and, uh, when you came and the devotees came to hear from Shudamar, he tell that story. His disciples were like, we never heard you speak like this before. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, we were so in, so sincere in our inquiries, the Shudamar said, some of the senior disciples said, well, he's saying things you've never said before. You guys are like... Turn him on here, you know, it's in the, the 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 wellspring of his insights are coming out. And Pujapada once said to us, a few of us young men, he said, if if I was younger now and I had you, we could do something in the world. He was thinking so. Um, so for for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so so. Yeah, the inquiring is important, and when you get a good question, you know, like I was giving a talk on Sunday on, you know, we did a phone call thing, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, one question, another question. Somebody asked a question. And I had said, they say, "How are you, Marsh? How are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm actually pretty tired today." But anyway, what are the questions? And so one question, two questions, and somebody asked a question, and then yeah. <laughs> the law said that woke him up. You know? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Said, that question woke me up. That's a good question. So it's important hmm? in that sense, and it's important for you, each of us as an individual, to uh, to explore what is the implication, what is the, what is the meaning, and 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 live in the in in the ideas of the texts. They're not just old books with sayings that. Uh, uh, don't have any application. They're very insightful, and the ramifications of them are deep. And yeah, just something that occurred to me, just you know, just from that discussion of questions, is the evolution from how questions and the from the lower species of life to why questions. And then it seems like in spiritual life, we start with why questions: Why am I here? Why am I suffering? Then it seems to evolve to how questions. How can we serve you? How can I make advancement? Yeah. That's because, like I said, the material world and the spiritual world are, are similar. Right. So the whole meaning of the test is function in one world or the other. So once you figure out who you are, then it's how to do bhakti, that's all. How to serve Krishna. So here, in, in, at some point, we ask, our intelligence inquires, is there a God? Hmm? Why am I, is there a God? In the spiritual world, intelligence is also functioning, but it's functioning differently. It's not, is there a God to serve, but how can I serve him the best? It's not a question of, is there a God, but how can I serve? So, Mother Yasoda used her, she was perplexed, how to serve him. I'm nursing him, but the milk is boiling over. And milk is coming from special cows on special grasses for him so that he won't run away from home and go steal milk from other people's houses. So he, she had this question, what should I serve him, serve the milk? Yeah. And she chose the Tadiya Seva, that which is dear to Krishna, and put Krishna down. It was her wise on her part, and much came out of it. Yes? Sometimes I come with my inquiry, and the revelation through the guru gives me the response that is a rope. And later the same inquiry comes up, not fully, and it's now a snake. <laughs> How do I view that? Well, I think there's a couple ways um, to do to deal with that. You're, you're kind of just giving an example. There, 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 I mean, I, I kind of did it in one sense. I said, you're not the body, you are the body, right, mm-hmm. earlier. So which is it, right? And it's, I think the answer is that the subject matter is, you know, is, 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 is complex. Number one and number two, it's also answered in proportion 
to the level of one's capacity to understand. And while one's capacity to understand may be limited, and a certain limited answer will be given, that you will be able to hold on to and move down the road, having moved down the road or on down the path, the question comes again in maybe a slightly nuanced way, or so, and you may get the opposite answer and be able to digest it hmm, in a way that you weren't able to um, in an earlier stage. I mean, I might tell someone at one stage, you should get married. Hmm. I might tell the same person later, you should take sannyas. He said, well, which is it? You told me to get married, you know, a few years ago. Now you're t-. And that's a crude example, but it, but that's one way to understand the whole thing isn't given all at once, neither could it be um, digested if it was. So, um, you know, there's a strategy to the preaching, if you will. All of preaching is a, all of the preaching is a strategy. Hmm. The strategy of the Gita is different than the strategy of the Bhagavatam. Hmm. They're on the same page, but the strategy there is, is different. How to present the teaching is different for different people, different times. Look at the look at the Puranas. There's Thomasic Puranas, Sattvic Puranas, for example, Rajasic Puranas. That means there are different strategies for different psychologies. Hmm? That the way the way it, the, the one message is being presented. Hmm? So that's um, that's one answer. And then I said it also before that that it's it's complex. So there's sometimes more than one answer. Hmm? Or it'd be seen from different different angles, and at different times, uh, Krishna is like a valuable jewel. So if you look at him one way, it's like that. You look at another way, there's another facet. I look at here, another facet. Hmm. So all of the above, hmm. and verses can have have different applications. Hmm. So. It's not an easy uh, subject. It's not. Let me put it like this: It's not a black and white subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spiritual life is not a black and white subject, but it may be presented as a black and white subject at the beginning to help us get a handle on it, so to speak. It's not this. It's not that. Eti neti. Mm-hmm. But um, we should be careful not to make our spiritual life an excuse not to think. That's what you're talking about. Hmm? Because it wants your mind, too. (laughs) Krishna wants your intelligence, too. That has to be spiritualized as well. Hmm? So there's a point where you can learn to to ask uh, spiritually intelligent questions Um, and from the right place. But uh, So it's, it's, it's... Love is full of certainty and uncertainty at the same time. That's that's beautiful. Gyan is the difference of gyan and ignorance, knowledge and ignorance, two opposites. So if you have gyan, you don't have avidya. If you have knowledge, you don't have ignorance. Ignorance means action in relation to the world. Ignorance means karma. You have ignorance, you're moving around and stepping on things, booby traps. That's what you're doing. That's karma. Karma is ignorance. It causes action. Gyan cancels the action. If you get gyan, then action stops because ignorance stops. And you know that I'm moving around trying to find happiness in relation to things that they're they're disappearing. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. I want enduring happiness, but I can't have it in relation to things that don't endure, so what am I doing here? Hmm? That's knowledge. So knowledge cancels out action. If you get a good education, then you have to work less physically and you can make more money. It's a simple example. Knowledge and action. So, the world runs on these two planes, bhoga and tyag. 
So knowledge means detachment, and bhoga means attachment. One, the latter is ignorance, the former is, is knowledge. These are two polar opposites. So it's real simple, right? Get rid of the knowledge, ignorance and come to knowledge. But Gaudi Vedanta says, that is too simple for something as wonderful as Krishna. Hmm? Therefore it posits bhakti, which includes knowledge and includes action in a way that they work together harmoniously because love is, is, a, is a knowing and love is also a movement. Hmm? So bhakti and jnana, under themselves, they cancel one another out. You want bhoga, enjoyment, you have no knowledge, you have to suffer. You have knowledge, you can stop suffering, but there's nothing to do. And then just rest, just rest. It's compared to going to sleep, deep sleep. And like I said the other night, if you're really, really tired, somebody wakes you up and you just go, hey man, I'm going to sleep. Okay, it's bliss, man. <laughs> sleep. Hmm? Ah. So that's what Sayujimukti is. This is what Gyan is is the pursuit of. It's like ending the misery. And it's a kind of kind of kind of negative bliss. Hmm? So anyway, knowledge and action they cancel one another out. But bhakti is full of knowledge and is full of action. Hmm? So it's complicated now. You got, there's both. They're both there. So it's 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 not this simplistic idea. I think Baldevidibushan says something like that. You know, in, in his commentary on Govinda Bhaskar Vedanta Sutra. But, you know, it, it's, and I give lectures. Like, I can give a lecture to people who haven't aren't familiar with the thing, and I the, the, the teaching, and I get them pretty far. Like this is material life. It's attachment. It works like this, and, and so on and so forth. And, and then and then. And then there's the self consciousness, different. And they're with me, okay? They're kind of getting it. Yeah, yeah. It's, pretty, it's actually kind of simple and kind of intuitive. And then, and then I say, so the world of forms and names here today, gone tomorrow. And then there's you, the observer, and, and they're with me. And then I got to start saying, but you know, that's not all. Now there's more. And then there's forms that are spiritual, <laughs> and the worlds, and all the things that we're just, we just said were you know, illusory and love and. Uh, Attachment, an attachment. It gets complicated as we start, huh? Start to lose them. So I think it's a little, little short on that part. Hmm? <laughs> it just gives some samskara for bhakti there, and then hopefully they come around next time. They can hear a little bit more about about him, right? They like to hear about themselves, about you, but about him. Hmm? That's complicated. <laughs> he's complicated. He's one. He's different at the same time. Hmm? So love is comp- is way more complicated, but that's good. It's more entangling. Therefore, there one never returns. There's no return from there. It's a web. So, therefore, Baldev says you have these two ideas: you know, knowledge. Ignorance, the difference, the variety of material life, the oneness of, of 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 Brahman, of consciousness, the underlying commonality that we all have. We're all consciousness. So this is just simplistic. We, we, our teaching is one and different. Spiritual life is way more complicated than than that, in one sense. Then again, to love is it's not very complicated. In that it's natural for us. It's natural for us. So it's 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 uh, it's not just black and white. Hmm? That me that means it's new, also at every step. It's new. It's new. Krishna never looks the same. Hmm? He always something more to be seen in him. The eye of love, of anurag. He constantly looks fresh, new. Material life is is a dead end. We go down this road, dead end. Hmm. There's another one, dead end. Another one, dead end. There are many roads, but it's all dead ends. In in Bhakti, there's there's one road. It never ends. Hmm? It never ends. Hmm? It says you're getting closer, but there's no end. You're getting closer, there's no end. 
Hmm? Prem is full, but it's always increasing. So which is it? Is it full or is it always increasing? You want a simple answer? There isn't a simple answer. <laughs> and that's good. Hmm? It's both things. All the contradictions are resolved there. Hmm? So that's it's uh, it's 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 beauty. It's it's, it's um, nuanced and, uh, and 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 love is like that. It's exciting, not static. It's dynamic. It's a dyna- we have a we have an idea of a dynamic union with the absolute, not a static union. So. What's the time? Okay, so nice to sit with all of you. Beautiful kirtan. Very much appreciate that also. And see you tomorrow. Shri Sivaradamadavakijaya. Vavakta Vrindavijaya.